We're in a series called God's Good, God's Good Design, and we're just doing a flyover. This is a 30,000 foot view of how God designed men and women, and, and this week we're talking about God's good design for men. What is God's design for men? And we're just gonna take, highlight two things that we see in Genesis chapter two, two things that we're gonna see in Genesis chapter two to help encourage the men be men. Ladies, you might be thinking, well, what about me? Well, we'll talk about you next week. Um, but this is an opportunity for you to encourage the men and also um, you know, to, to see what a man looks like. Genesis chapter two will be in verses five to 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can turn to page two. Um, before we jump into the passage, um, I, I thought of this question, what, what is a man? Right? If you had to characterize, um, if you had to outline what a man is, what would be on that list, right? And then I start to think, well, how has culture in the world characterized a real man, right? How, how has the world and culture represented what a man is? Um, for some people, uh, that looks different, right? So I, I'm, I, came, I came up with a list. Um, the first service resonated with a lot of the names, and then by the time I got to the end, they're like, we don't have no clue who those people are. So I imagine in this service, a lot of people are going to resonate with many of the names and then not know some. But, but this is what our culture and our world has said a real man looks like. This is what a man is, right? So these are a couple of names. Um, John Wayne, right? Some laugh. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, right? One of the greatest baseball players of all time for the greatest franchise of all of human history, the New York Yankees. You laugh because you, you love to see greatness and you have seen it. Humphrey Bogart, Roberto Clemente, James Stewart, Elvis Presley, this is my favorite because I just love that he's a great actor, Clint Eastwood. Right, remember, right, what has our world and our culture, what have the movies, TV shows shown us what a man is, right? Um, here's another name, John F. Kennedy, Sidney Poitier, Paul Newman. Okay, one for Paul Newman. <laughs> Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali. What about uh, George Michael? Well, that's what our culture has presented, right? You may not be the fan. Michael, Michael uh, Jackson? Michael Jordan? Here's some other names. Sylvester Stallone? The Rock? Oh. We will be praying for her after the service. She needs to be here next week. We're gonna talk about women in your heart because <laughs> she, Lord help us. George Clooney, Idris Elba. What about the, 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 the how culture has, has represented the dads, right? I'm, I'm a 90s kid, any 90s kids in the room? Okay, oh, five of us, great. Um, here's, here's a couple of names, Uncle Phil. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? Good representation of a dad, maybe. Uh, Carl Winslow. Oh, gosh, you guys don't know. 
Um, my, one of my favorites, Danny Tanner and Uncle Jesse. Okay, there we go. Tim the Two-Man Taylor. All right, all right. Here's another one. Here's a good one. Frank Costanza, right? Like, you laugh, but like, that was what our culture said was a good dad or, or a man. Everyone loves Raymond, Raymond Barone, right? That character. Dan Connor, the Roseanne show, whatever. Oh, that's another favorite. If you're a 90s kid, you, love, you know this one. Um, Alan Matthews from Boy Meets World, the dad. Come on, that was a great TV show. You don't know, okay. Bill Huxtable from The Cosby Show. Al Bundy. You guys remember that? I mean, we can, we can go on, and there's a new generation of men um, that our, our young men are looking to, and these are, these are just a handful of names, right? And, and I'm sure the college students and young adults will know who this is. So, so what I'm outlining for you is what has our culture and world represented to us as, as either a manly man, a good man, or a good father. Um, these guys are the up-and-comers. These are the men who are the most influential, in my opinion, the most influential men of our time today, right now. It might change in a year, it might change in, a, in another five years, but these are men who are influencing the next generation of men, all right? With the with the advancement of YouTube, the influence of YouTube and podcasts, these are the men who are informing us of what a man is. Um, one of them is Elon Musk. Another one, Andrew Tate. Yeah, I know. David Goggins, right? That's another name. Um, what about Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan is influential. Um, here's another one, uh, Jordan Peterson. Right, these are, these are the men that are informing the next generation of men of what it means to be a man. Now, he, here's the caveat from, from that entire list. That is not an accurate depiction of what a man is. Right, I, I can show you, right, how culture in the world has wrongfully demonstrated to us of what a man looks like, what a man is, Right in TV shows and movies, now the man is is either overly aggressive, overly dominant, and or the man is extremely passive or should be extremely passive. Right, even in the men that I just named now, that that these men are are are, are much about guys. You should look good, feel good, work out. Girls want men who look good. Girls want men who are aggressive and powerful, and if they don't, they're terrible, right? That, that's what's informing our culture. We have to realize, as the body of Christ, you and I have to realize that the way our culture and our world depicts what a man is, is flawed. And there is a standard of what a man is. And the purpose this morning is for you to see God's original tent for man. And ladies, if you're sitting there, what about me? We'll talk about you next week because this is helpful for you, especially for single women. This is helpful for you to see God's good design for men, to encourage them, love them, to be the men that God created them to be. 
to, to look for a man, if you're single, to look for a man who exemplifies the qualities and characteristics that God intended them to have. And ultimately, what, what I want you guys to see is that Jesus is the person that men ought to reflect to be like, talk like, and act like. Not perfectly, faithfully. You want to know what a real man looks like? Look to Jesus. You want to start somewhere? Start with Jesus. So we'll start Genesis chapter 2. I'll read um, some. Uh, we'll start in verse 1. We're only going to focus on verse 15. But I want us to read the entire chapter because I want us to get some context and some thoughts that I think are helpful for us. Um, so we read Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 and page 2 in the Pubeck Bible in front of you. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Notice, right, that the author is reminding us God is the creator of all things. What you would also notice in this passage, right, that day seven doesn't end. In Genesis chapter 1, you often see after a day has been completed, it says, and then there was day and night. Day seven was never supposed to end. Meaning we were supposed to have rest for the entire life. Not leisure, but rest. Right? This is, this is the whole point that we, we were supposed to live in, enter in, abide in God's rest. Meaning God's presence, God's purpose, God's plan. Verse four, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord had made the heavens, the earth and the heavens. Verse five, and when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And, in, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground then the Lord formed the man out of dust. Notice too, we men were created out of dust. God created the entire universe by the power of his word. And in this moment, God formed. God worked. God, God made us. He didn't speak us into existence. He, he made us. Like I'm picturing God there making with his hands, forming it out of the ground, molding it, fashioning it into a human being. And then to bring the man alive, what does the Bible say? Verse seven, and the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. He worked it and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is what makes us so different from the rest of creation, that we have the breath of life. God breathed into us life. That's why the image of God is so important to us. That's why we're the most valuable create, create, creation, uh, the cre we're the most valuable creature in all of creation. Because we have the breath of life. Then he's going on to say, and out of the ground, God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. This is when God created art. There are things for us to look at, to see its beauty, to admire. And then there are things 
that are good for us to eat. Right? This is what the Bible says. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. Debulum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now check this out. This is, this is our main verse. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that, in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here, here's why. Here's what it looks like to be a man. He, here's what this looks like for you and me, men in the room. First thing I want us to notice in this passage, that God's good design for men is that they work. God, in verse 15, says he took the man, put him in the garden to what? To work it and keep it. The garden was created for the man to work. Now, you're looking at me and you're saying, I do that, I go to work, no, that's not all what it means to be a man. We have many men who provide really well for families. But God had always intended that men would work in three institutions that he created. The family, the church, and also societal institutions. Right? That God created men to work. Now, now it's beyond just working a nine-to-five job. But what we see often in this passage that Adam was created to cultivate, to care, to produce, to provide, and to protect. A man is one who produces, who cultivates, who cares, who keeps, who provides and protects. But not just only in his job, in his family, in the church, and in every place that God has called him to be. So this applies to the men who cannot work or who have retired. You still can cultivate, you can care, you can protect, you can guide, you can produce wherever God has called you to be because work was a design before the fall. We think that work, right, is a bad thing. But what we see in this passage, work is a good thing. And God has called the man to work. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean that you cannot work. You can work. If you are a working woman, that is a good thing. I'm simply pointing out that work for the man was instituted by God before the fall. When men decide not to cultivate, produce, when men decide not to protect, not to guide, not to keep, not to work, you know what happens 
There, there's chaos, there's confusion in the home, in the church, and in our society. If you look at statistics, they will tell you, especially church statistics, when the men lead, when they shepherd, they guide, when they're influential, when they are motivated by love, when they represent Christ in everything that they do, you know what often happens? The family flourishes, the church flourishes, and the community flourishes. Men are a vital part to the human flourishing. And our culture and our word has said, we don't need men. Women will take care of it. Ladies, you need us. Badly. And we need you. Badly. We need each other. You cannot survive without us and we cannot survive without you because God's good design has always been that men are to flourish and women are to flourish together in unity. You take one out, you're operating out of God's design. So God instituted work for the man to produce. Are you producing men in your life? Do you think that your obligation just to clock in nine to five and provide for your family is good enough? Or are you the type of man that God instituted to, to produce, to flourish? Meaning you are making disciples of your children. You are loving your wife really well. You are participating in the activities of the church. You are loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Are you representing the image of God in everywhere that you go? Are you a good employee? For a long time, men had just been told, you go provide, the wife stays at home to take care of the kids, and those are two olds. That's not how God intended it to be. God intended that men to work in every aspect, in the home, in the church, and in our society. Men are called to work hard. Now, as I said before, if you cannot work physically, you surely can work in other aspects, meaning the Great Commission, as Nate was talking about, great example how men work. You're retired. How are you producing? How are you still cultivating in your family in the areas and places that God has called you to be? Sin has corrupted manhood. Amen? That was my way of saying, say something. <laughs> Sin has corrupted manhood, am I not right? It has, it has made men, in two different ways. It has made men overly domineering and passive. That's what sin has done. So, so if God's calling man to work and work is a good thing, instituted in Genesis chapter two, verse 15, what has sin done, corrupted that? So what's going to happen? Men, we're going to struggle with passivity, meaning that we're going to feel okay not to produce, not to care, not to flourish, not to be present, not to be involved, not to provide, right? We're going to struggle. We're going to have the major obstacle in front of us not to be passive. And the reason why I know this is because what happens after Adam sinned? Jesus, oh, excuse me, the second person of the Trinity walking in the garden calls out to who? Adam, where are you? 
They didn't call to Eve. And they're having this dialogue. And what, what does Adam do? He says, well, we ate of the fruit that you told us not to eat of. Who ate of it? The woman that you gave me. Here we see the first, the first, the second sin, passivity. Adam retreated and he decided, no, 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 no. I wasn't going to take responsibility. No, God held him responsible because it was God who was looking for him. And what does the New Testament say? Who, who, who's held responsible for the sin in the world? Adam. Sin entered the world through what? One man. Adam retreated. He was passive. And now the Bible, sin has corrupted us, so the Bible now is going to have to encourage men, hey, listen, we don't want you to be passive. And, and one of the ways that the Bible is going to encourage men not to be passive is in Proverbs. Proverbs 6 says this, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, Officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What the writer is saying in Proverbs is that sin has entered the world and now we're going to struggle with passivity. And and what we know is that the Bible often confronts our passivity. This verse is saying, hey, listen, don't be lazy. Don't be passive. Look at the ant. The ant doesn't need a boss. It doesn't need to be told to work. It doesn't need someone to manage its work. It knows that its duty is to work. And what are the benefits of, a, of an ant working? It It eats. It flourishes, it survives. Men, we've been called to work in every aspect that God has placed us in. But we're going to struggle with the fact that sin has corrupted us and it's, it's gonna be a fight not to be spectators, but to be participants in God's good design. It's going to be easy for us to sit on the sidelines and let the women go and do what they got to do, right? This is why many women in our church, single mothers, struggle having to rate kids on their own because men have decided, we'll take a step back. We won't be involved. And women have to have, play both roles, mom and dad. Why? Because of our passivity. Man, let's not be passive. Let's work for the good of God's good design in the home, in the church, in society by working really hard, being a light, not being domineering, but having drive, having focus, right? I told this to, I was, used to tell this to the high school girls, do not pursue a guy, do not date a guy who does have no desire, has no desire to serve God, represent God in his life and anywhere he's at. It's not worth it. 
If a man is passive in his relationship with God, if a man is passive in his responsibilities that God has put before him in society, in the church, in the home, if, if, if he's a man who cannot submit to his parents, if he's a man, right, who's, who, who doesn't love the church and isn't participating in the church, a man who doesn't have good ethics and values, run, run. Because there are many women in our church who are miserable, married 30, 40 years, saying, I wish I would have singing the song, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Now, ladies, we'll talk about you next week. We're going to have a long discussion next week. <laughs> long discussion. Second thing I want us to notice, right? right we got, first thing is God has called us to work, but work is not just working and providing, it means that we take on the responsibility, the spiritual responsibilities that God has given us in the home to love and care for our family, in society to participate really well. And the second thing I want us to know is that God's good design for men is that they will bear the primary responsibility to lead. Don't get triggered. Ladies, I'm not saying that you, you can't lead in aspects of the church. I'm not saying you can't lead in aspects of the home. And I'm not saying you can't lead in aspects of our society. Oftentimes, and we'll talk about this next week, that women get worked up because, because they, they, feel like, they feel like men are too domineering. So, so words like lead, spiritual leader, male headship, is hard for them to understand. And I'm here to tell you that God's design, God created Adam first. He holds the responsibility to lead, right? If you notice in Genesis chapter two, God does not tell Eve not to eat of the tree. Who does he tell not to eat of the tree? Adam. What did he expect of Adam? To make sure that God's word, God's command was known to Eve and to everyone else who would come after because Adam was the primary person who was held responsible to lead. We also see this primarily in the home. What does Ephesians chapter 5 say? Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he, and he himself is savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, this is the point. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oftentimes, we look at this passage and we think it's a license for men to be overly domineering. No, this is not a license for men to be overly domineering. Though they would, many men would use this, this passage. They would say, I am the man. I make the final decision on everything. You have to submit and obey me at all costs. That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible is calling men to do is to sacrificially love their wife, meaning they are called to die to themselves. That means that they are called to give up their agenda so that their wives and their family could flourish. This passage is not a call for men to be domineering or to be the boss. It's a call for men to sacrificially selflessly, selflessly give up their life for their wives. 
Caveat. Ladies, if you're single, you do not, you do not submit to any man in this church who's not in an authority position, meaning you don't go submitting to other men in the church. That's not how that works. This passage is about what? Marriage. Ladies, if you're single, find a man who loves and cares for you, who sacrifices his own life for you so that you can flourish, who's not overly domineering, who's not passive, a man who looks like Jesus. Men, remember, being a man, having the responsibility to be the primary leader in your home and in the church is not a right. It's a responsibility. If you look at all of the men in the Bible, God called them to what? Serve other people. What was Adam's first job? To care for God's creation. It wasn't to look out for himself. It was to make sure that God's creation was well taken care of. When you look at Moses, his entire life was devoted to who? God's people. To mediate between them and God. To lead them out of Egypt. To rescue them out of their slavery. King David, what was his responsibility? To protect God's people. To represent who God was to God's people. The prophets, what were their jobs? Their jobs were, were people-focused, to call them to repentance, to call the kings and leaders to repentance, to remember God. The apostles, what were they called to do? They were called to make disciples of all people, teaching them that everything that Jesus taught them. What was Paul's job? It was what? To include the Jews and the Gentiles, to be part of a movement, a church planting movement that will radically change all of history. All the men in the Bible who were called to lead were always selflessly leading and serving other people, sacrificially giving up their lives. We're what? The betterment of everyone else. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, Isaiah. That is what it looks like for us to bear the responsibility. It's to focus on other people. It's not to focus on our authority and our power and our influence, our primary role. It's to serve others. I love this quote from Sam Storm. He says, and he talks about headship. Sam Storm says, headship is more a responsibility than a right. A right is something that we tend to demand or insist upon as something we are owed. This can all too often make for an authoritarian and self-serving atmosphere in the home when headship is viewed as a sacred trust in which the husband is called by God to lead and honor and sacrifice for his wife, the tone and mood of the home is radically improved. Men, we bear the primary responsibility to lead. When we reject our responsibility to biblically lead, biblically lead, when we neglect our responsibility to guide, to work, to protect, 
to provide, to produce, we'll begin to see a breakdown in God's design in the family. We'll see a breakdown in God's design for the church. We'll see a breakdown in God's design for the community. When we see men passive or overly domineering in the home and in the church and society, we have failed to look like Jesus. How do we begin to reclaim our manhood, so to speak? Here's a start. We start with, with Jesus. We look like him. We talk like him. We act like him. And the expectation for us from the gospel is not that we would perfectly be like Jesus, but that we would faithfully be like Jesus. That's it. We look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to him as the primary and ultimate example. The list that I gave you earlier in the sermon pales into comparison to the person of Jesus Christ. Can I read you one verse? I believe someone can fact check me on this, but I think this is the only time that Jesus talks about his own heart as far as it concerns his character. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Men, you want to you want to work hard and you want to be the primary leader in your home. Become gentle and become lowly. At the core of who Jesus is, this is who he is. Gentle and lowly. What does that mean? It, in the Greek, it has this connotation of humility and accessibility. Meaning, right, that, that Jesus wasn't prideful. Jesus saw himself as someone who not only looked humble, but who was humble. He, he left the splendor and majesty of, of heaven and his ruler reign to come down to this earth, take on the form of man, to be gentle and lowly. I love this idea of accessibility because, because that's, that's what men should do, right? We, we don't lead behind the desk. We, we lead by being present. We lead by showing the characteristics of Christ. We lead in our home, in our church, and in society by showing other people our humility, by showing other people that we're available. We're not distant. We haven't abdicated our role to be fathers and brothers and sons. We haven't abdicated our roles to produce, cultivate, and care. We actually step in, lean forward to do these things, to be gentle and 
lowly. Got these questions for you guys and ladies from a book by Matt Chandler, and this is what he says. He asks this question, question that I thought would be beneficial for He says, men, are you working for the good of the home, the church, and the community around you? Are you striving to live out God's design for you? Men, are you, are you pursuing the betterment of other people, the people that he's placed in your life? Women, do you recognize the weight of responsibility that God has placed on the men in your life? Are your words encouraging to men to be who God created them to be? Or are there, words of, are there weaponized words against them? Or as James liked to say, are your words like a wildfire? You're really good at criticizing men and what they should do, be like. But your words are without love. Are your words saturated by the influence of our culture and our world? Or are your words encouraging that come from the Bible that encourage men to be men? Because what we often see, the influence of our culture has placed men in a bad position to flourish. Matt Challen goes out to quote this, this quote that I'm gonna share with you. He says, he quotes another guy in a, in a book. He says, Eric Mason, in his book, Manhood Restored, said, men are only as it relates to the standards set by Jesus. If men are going to live in the fullness of biblical manhood, they must model themselves after Jesus. The prototype man who was tempted in every way yet without sin. I love this next sentence. The reality is that every man will walk in the shadow of one of two men, Adam or Jesus. Men, are we walking in the shadow of Jesus? If we aren't, the good news is we can. Today, the gospel tells us we can do it right now because the spirit in us stirring our hearts and minds toward Jesus is the same spirit who's leading us, who's guiding us. Amen? Let's pray. God, would you help the men of our church be who you call them to be in every place that you've called them to be, to look like you, to talk like you, to act like you in their relationships, in their workplace, in the church. God, I pray for also the women that they would encourage men to fulfill God's calling in their life. God, that we would be men who walk in the shadow of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name and the people of God say, ladies, come back. We're gonna have a long talk next week. <laughs> Invite a friend. Bring a notebook. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.